You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. And as always, it is an honor and a privilege to have you here for the next half hour. So much is going on in our world. And one of the things I enjoy doing the most when it comes to this podcast is seeking out other people who are doing amazing things in our community and then bringing them to your attention. Because I think that one of the best ways we can give back to the community is become more involved in our community. And one of those ways I've done that during this pandemic is to bring you on other podcasters and let you get an idea of what it is they talk about on their recovery-centered shows. So today, today I'm bringing you Chastity Therian, so happy I got that last name right, Chastity Therian, and her, she is a mother of four. She's a personal trainer. She's a podcaster of the retired blackout artist. Go check that out on Instagram. And she's active in her life. She's active in her recovery. She's active in our community, and she is here with us today. Chastity, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jesse. I'm so excited to be here. I am excited to have you here. Since the moment I came across your Instagram profile, I just loved the retired blackout artist. I was like, man, I was a blackout artist. I was like, yeah. I was like, what a great name for the show. What was it that fired you up about your sobriety and recovery uh, journey that said, I've got to do a podcast about this? (laughs) Well, Thank you for the introduction. And uh, for me, the name of the Retired Blackout Artist podcast came from a coffee cup. <laughs> Whenever I got sober, uh, you know, I was kind of like you when we talked earlier. I was on fire for my recovery. I uh, did treatment in a in home in a in a facility. Um, spent some time there. Got out. The next day, I pretty much ran into my first uh, 12-step program, went to a meeting, and just stuck around. Grateful that I did. Thankfully that I that I did stick around, and I let those people embrace me. I just I, I, three months sober. This is what happened. So three months sober. I had a sponsor. Um, I told her that I wanted to start sponsoring women. And she's like, oh, hold on, hold on. Let's put the brakes on here because, you know, you're only on step, whatever it was. And you're not quite there. But that's how on fire I, I was for sobriety. I wanted to open, um, you know, a home for women in recovery. I just wanted to help everybody. So, uh, you know, adding a couple of years onto that. And I, I just said, you know, I, I really enjoy talking, interacting with addicts and alcoholics, you know, in different uh, stages of the recovery. I love to hear people's journey. I love to, you know, you and I had talked earlier. I love to see what you're doing with this second part of your life. And uh, so anyway, the podcast came to my mind and I'm one of those people I get something in my mind it doesn't matter what it is it's in my mind by God I'm gonna do it I'm gonna show you I can do it (laughs) so there's your long answer (laughs) 
Well, it's such a great answer because I, you know, I we talked about and for for y'all who want to check me out on the retired blackout artist, I'll show, I'll be on there soon. So we're doing a podcast swap where she's coming on and on on hers. I discussed how I'm still in the pink cloud, right? Like I'm still enthusiastic about my sobriety and recovery. I think it's just so awesome. This, like you said, second life. You have this enthusiasm for your recovery journey that just exudes over the microphone. What are some of the ways that you, do you have to put a lot of effort into doing that? Or is it just your natural beingness that keeps you fired up? Because doing a podcast and doing it consistently, it's already working in and of itself. But then also having it being around a topic that means so much to us, it, it can either become overwhelming or it can become exuberatingly beneficial. Where are you at on that spectrum? Because you you're fired up. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Maybe I need to take it back, reel it in a little bit. Better. I will never tell you to reel it in. I have anything. I will never tell you to reel it in. <laughs> no, um, with, you know, Jesse, with my drinking, I, at, at the end of my drinking, I, I never wanted people to know how much I was drinking. I didn't want them to know how bad things were. In my recovery, I am very open about uh, being an alcoholic in recovery. I don't mind, you know, the neighbors can know, baseball people can, you know, baseball mom and dads can know. It, to me, it doesn't matter. I think the more people that know, you know, I'm, I'm out there, they, they know who to, who to call or who to come to if they have an issue or if their child has an issue, if their brother or sister. That's, because I am so open about it, <clears throat> I have had a, a lot of uh, people who have reached out to me, not just people that listen to the podcast, but I'll get uh, phone calls from, from people here in the city that will say, hey, so-and-so, one of our mutual friends told me you're in recovery. Can you please talk to X and let them know where they can go for help, what they can do? And, you know, I do a lot of volunteer work also. I uh, go to 12-step meetings. I sponsor other women. I, uh, you know, back to the volunteer work, I volunteer with the Redemption, Redemptionist Center here in Kansas City, which helps underprivileged families. Um, they help alcoholics and addicts with placement and uh, with food. We're doing food drives this summer. Awesome. Did I lose you? No, I'm no, no, I was no. Don't stop. Keep. keep I kind of went keep. on, and then I kind of forgot what the question. The question again. Well, you, you, <laughs> like you, you, you no, know, and we're going to leave that in too because I like people to hear. You know, just the back and forth because uh, it started off with you know you, you're you're fired up. You know, and and what you know what brings that energy that you bring to your addiction recovery, and it sounds like. Um, a lot because you one you offer your services to the community you're you're very vocal right you're not out there i am sober everybody talk to me but people know and you're opening that up and i love that because i really think that that's one of the biggest things we can do is release the stigma i actually think it's a badge of courage when i say i know i'm sober well why you know it just it wasn't for me anymore uh, you know I, uh, my my drinking became just it's just too much and i just didn't want to deal with it anymore so i love that you're vocal about it and then you're off and in your you're volunteering at food banks and, and you, you're doing so much for your community now uh, were these things that you were you this involved with your community when you back when you were drinking or is it you know, were you just pretty much like I'm in my garage chain smoking cigarettes and drinking the vodka that's what I was like Jesse I oh man my kids um you know they didn't know when they came home they didn't know 
what mom they were going to be faced with. You know, is she going to be the happy drunk or is she going to be the mean, you know, not like I wasn't physically mean, but, you know, just, you know, talking, just, you know, garbage coming out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. They didn't, you know, my husband, he didn't want to come home from work. He would be hours late. Not that he was going to the bar, but he just did not know what kind of a, you know, shit show he was going to face when he got home. Uh, so no, I was not out in my community volunteering. Uh, no, <laughs> I was when I was drinking there, especially at the end. I was the one who had on a stocking cap because I hadn't washed my hair for a couple of days, no makeup, uh, wearing old t-shirt and old sweats because I did some woodworking and they would, it would have paint or stain on them. And I would wear my pink Crocs <laughs> dressed like this. I look like a damn homeless person. I would go to the liquor store or the grocery store, whichever one I hadn't visited, you know, yesterday to buy my, buy my booze. And, um, no, I was not a person <laughs> involved or a person that you really wanted. I wasn't socially accepted whenever I was drinking. Um, I could clean up, you know, for school events. Sometimes I went drunk. Sometimes I went to my kids' baseball games drunk um, and was asked to leave. Oh, but, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So it, well, it's a 360 compared <laughs> or 180, I guess, from what I was like. One of the things that, you know, for those of you who didn't necessarily hear that little slip, that little slip, that little sentence in there, but I want to bring it out because I noticed it because I did the same behavior is uh, going to the grocery store, or the liquor store, which one I had not been to yesterday. And it's very interesting that I had a liquor store on the corner, like three minutes from my house, and I would on purposely walk much further away to another one, right? Because I'm like, I, this person can't see me two days in a row. Or they, I was just here three hours ago and I bought a pint and I need to go back for another pint. That was an hour. I can't, this person can't see me. So it's very interesting how we'll go to our kids sporting events intoxicated, right? And then that becomes a whole thing. But we don't want the liquor store owner to know that we're <laughs> addicted to the stuff he's selling us. Yeah. Exactly. Like they, like they can't tell that we're alcoholics already, right? right. Because the, the the pink Crocs and the then the dirty sweats were a dead giveaway, <laughs> honey. You don't have to worry about trying to only come in here one every three days. I, basically, I'm actually upset that you're not giving your, me your money. Let's have that conversation <laughs> right now. Probably. Uh, one, you know, uh, and, and I don't often, if at all, really touch too much upon the 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 rock bottoms or the stories that led you because we all have them in a very similar mm-hmm. fashion. I love to hear what that day one, that week one, that week, that first month is. And because I have my own story, but I wasn't married. I didn't have children. I am super interested in knowing what was that what what was that beginning stages of the recovery process like for you when you had to talk to your family about it and you had mm. to sit down at the dinner table and say, hey, you know what? Mommy's got an idea and I think she's going to run with it. What what was that like when you had that conversation? Because that must have been vulnerable and tough and I could only imagine. So let's, if you will, please like dive into that, 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 that first day, week, month and, and express that. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I, there's my end. I had attempted suicide. So my, uh, my then 10 year old had uh, seen me in the backyard bleeding and, um, and then I was, I was not court ordered to go to treatment, but, um, I was at the hospital and they said, pretty much, you don't have a choice. You're not going home. 
<clears throat> so I, I went to treatment. I did, you know, a week, week and a half there. When I came, I they told me I was going home. I was not expecting that. And I had that, you know, being being in a facility, I had that, uh, I just felt like I was I was okay as long as I was there. I was going to be okay. I wasn't going to drink. Um, then when they told me I, I they were releasing me, I was going home. And my husband, who I had only spoken to once in the week and a half that I was in treatment, <clears throat> that he was coming to get me. You know, that was kind of tough because that was the first time we had seen each other, um, had spoken to each other, and I cried. It was, a you know, a 30-minute drive home, but I cried. I was terrified to come home. My oldest son had, um, I've been married three times. I have a collection of husbands. So uh, my oldest son had, uh, you know, years before had moved it back with his dad. My two middle children had uh you know the month before all this happened they had moved in with their dad because they didn't know what they were going to come home from school to and um so really the only one that the only child that was living here was my then 10 year old son and my husband and I just I just I was scared to death though because Jesse like you said I would sit in the garage I would drink and I would smoke I didn't know what coming back to that you know, am I going to go back to my old behaviors? So that was terrifying. But, um, you know, and I sat in the driveway for probably a good 20 minutes. Finally, I came inside and um, my youngest son, he was playing video games. He just kind of looked over his shoulder like, yeah, she's home. You know, it wasn't like, oh, mommy, you're home. No, it wasn't that at all. It was like, ah, she's home. Um, I had text my middle son, told him I was home, text my daughter. My daughter wouldn't come over. My middle son did come over and he's always been, he's a Marine now. And he's always been the kid that he would, whenever I was, uh, drunk and, um, you know, would, you know, I'd, I'd be, I'm okay to drive. And he would always be like, mom, mom, are you okay? Mom? Hey, are, really? Are you Okay. So he's always been kind of sensitive, you know, it was, it made me feel good that he came to see me, but my other kids, they really didn't want anything to do with me. So it was tough. And I knew that I had a long road. I had been told I have a long road to go to gain their trust back. And yeah, I don't know with kids, that's hard because people say, well, they're so resilient. Yeah, maybe, but they also, they remember yeah. everything. Well, it's like us. I mean, you know, there was, you know, the one thing all addicts have in common is that we have suffering. We suffered a great deal in, in our childhoods. And then, that, you know, this eventually led us down the path of addiction. So you, we think, okay, kids are resilient. Like, yeah, well, I was a kid once and look how, and look how I internalized everything that happened around me and look what I ultimately ended up doing. Right. So then you, you're right. You have these kids that are resilient, but they're also like, yeah, but you know, you got kicked out of my baseball game or you should have drunk to my birthday party. Like, you know what? You, you great. You've been, you're sober, but you know, it's like, it's going to take me a little bit more time than just a few, a few days to realize that you actually are actively doing this. What was that process like over, you know, cause now we're, we're, we both have the same sobriety year. So we're both in that three and a half range. What was that like growing uh, closer to them through your addiction recovery and letting them see like, Hey, this is this chastity. I'm sticking around. And uh, you know, I'd really like to get to know you. 
Yeah. I mean, that, that is kind of funny when I think about that, Jesse, because yeah, my sobriety date is February 21st of 2017. And like you said, we're both, you know, three and a half years here. And, um, my daughter, she, she came back around, but then here in the last nine months, almost a year, actually, she, I haven't seen her in a year. She, um, I don't know. I think the sober mom, she, she's, she's 19. She'll be 20 and she's having fun now. You know, she's, you know, having fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I, like college kids do. Yeah. So she really doesn't want to, you know, uh, have conversations with a mom that's sober, that's trying to tell her, maybe you should cut back. Maybe yeah. this might be a problem. Um, my oldest son, I am able to help him. He, his dad died tragically a few years ago and, and he drinks a lot. He knows he drinks a lot and, you know, but he can talk to me about it. But the youngest one, he's 14 now. And he's the one, even though mom's been sober, you know, three and a half years, I came home the other day from the grocery store and I bought this um, Italian soda pop. It's in a tall glass bottle. I didn't even notice it, but the gal had wrapped it in a brown bag. Oh, so, yeah. So I come home and we're unloading groceries and he's like, just let his face just drops. And he says, did you buy wine? And I'm like, no, what are you talking? Oh, no, that's not wine. <laughs> but in the back of his head, Jesse, he's, I think he's just maybe waiting for that other shoe to drop. You know, I, like, is she really, is she really going to stay on with this? Right. Well, and that's what, you know, it, my, my therapist taught me, it's like this homeostasis, right? The, the whole family got used to balancing the boat with us as an addict. And then we get sober and now everybody's position needs to rearrange because where we were once easily balanced. I know how to get along with chastity when she was intoxicated. Now she wants to stand up. The whole boat's out of whack. Right. And for, mm -hmm. you know, the daughter just goes away from says, I don't even need the boat. You know, and the other son's like, oh, I'll come back to the boat once in a while. 14 year olds in the boat. And, and, and it's interesting watching that dynamic play out. Do you feel like your sobriety will have more of an effect on how he sees, uh, you know, cause here he comes, he's only four years away from going off to college or at least being able to leave the house and certainly find his own addictive addictions. If those are, you know, something that, you know, he might come across, you'll have, you have more personal ability to actually touch his life and, and show him a better way now. Do you, do you see how that's like, do you see how your actions and the way you talk with him are being affected by that kind of mentality? I really do because, um, you know, there are kids that are his age or even younger, you know, I had my first drink when I was 12 and there are kids in his school that are doing acid you know, and they are smoking pot and they are drinking or doing the, <clears throat> the vapes. And, you know, he, he, he's all into sports. He doesn't have any interest in that. He doesn't have interest in girls right now. And I just want to keep him like that. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, I know that's not going to happen. He is going to go off to college. He will have a life outside of these walls. And I just, I think, I really think that because he'll listen to some of the podcast episodes, you know, whenever I'm editing. And I really think that that seed has been planted. He knows that, you know, mom, you know, if it's genetics, 
okay, mom has this, mom is this. Um, I think the seed's been planted and I really hope that, I think he's aware. He's heard so many, um, you know, stories with, you know, in different podcast episodes about how you can be, you can be the normal mom or husband or kid down the street. And then boom, you can also be an addict or an alcoholic. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, in high school, I was, you know, straight A student, you know, top 10 in my class and, you know, in glee club and dancing around with all my friends and Bible study at Thursday mornings at the McDonald's off 46. And then, you know, college, about face. And I love that you bring that up. It's, you know, there's this, you said earlier that you're planting these seeds, these seeds are being planted. I've talked a lot about on my show about how I'm planting seeds and some people will water them right away and tend the garden and other people you plant it and you don't even know where it's going to go. You just know that you've planted it, they'll do with it as they will. And so what were like, you know, let's going back to the beginning stages of your sobriety and recovery. What, what was your mindset going into it? What, you know, cause what I'm looking for here is a compare and contrast between the seeds that weren't planted when you first started versus the kind of mindset principles and practices you're using now. And where you can see that somebody planted a seed and now look at this beautiful garden that it's turned into. So, you know, big question for like, how has your mindset changed? What are some of the seeds that were planted in you and how have you cultivated them now? Like as far as like me growing up, what seeds were planted or, or what, how I have the difference in me when I was drinking and how I acted around my children to now. Well, really like, okay, you, you had gone into that facility for 10 days. You know, what was it that they talked to you about then yeah. that you can go back and say, wow, you know, they talked about this then. And here I am three and a half years later and they were right. They planted that seed then. And I started to behave this way, you know, in accordance to my new world. And now look at this garden I have now, because I, I really want the people who are catching on to this and they're at day seven or day 17, you know, to feel like, oh, okay, these, uh, th- I want them to be aware that seeds are actually being planted because sometimes I think that they're not. They think that they're just listening to somebody, you or me, a podcast or somebody in front of a classroom saying, this is why you shouldn't drink. And this is what life could be like whenever you're sober for a year. And they're just like, blah, blah, blah. It's like the, it's like the peanuts teacher. Wah, 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 wah. And I want them to be more aware of the seeds. And so I'm really interested because I didn't go into a facility. What seeds were planted then and, and, and how you cultivated those whenever you got out? Hmm. One of one of the main things there that I that comes to mind is the pause. So my my counselor in the facility would would tell me, especially in conversations with my husband or my kids, uh, not to just you know you hear you hear something, okay? It comes it comes in through your ears, and then I have the comeback, boom, right out of my mouth. That's how I was. Now I can do the pause, which means mentally I'm taking my chapstick or my lipstick. Somebody says something to me. I'm taking the chapstick out, rubbing it on my lips before I speak back to them. (laughs) Just that pause to give yourself a moment to, okay, do I really want to respond this way or should I respond in a more, uh, (laughs) you know, loving, compassionate manner? That was a big thing for me as far as a change that I made. And, you know, the second thing was, you know, that, that I'm okay. I'm not so unique. I'm not so different. 
other women have gone through uh, traumatic events, you know, that I went through. Um, Other people grew up the same way that I did. I'm not that unique. I'm not that different. Not everybody goes to those events and (laughs) throws their life away. drinking we can get through it with more productive uh, manner (laughs) yeah it's interesting you say unique because I have a saying that I talk a lot about on the shows that we're not special but we are unique like the problems you've gone through are not special the a lot of the people have had worse unique like a fingerprint like we all have our own way of internalizing information and then thus becoming who we are and so I I do love I love I love that you bring that up because yeah some people are like oh my thing is so unique and so different I'm like well it's not different it's it's, it's there's similarities and some people go off and you know like my brother stays away from addiction because he knows better. And I heard it as permission. Uh, there was something else that you said uh, in there too, that now my brain is, oh, when you're talking about, so I talk a lot about emotionally, emotionally, uh, when you emotionally respond, it, it's whenever you get triggered, right? So that's a reaction versus response whenever you're emotionally grounded. And so you, that's where that pause comes in. So I love that you're tying that because we've talked a lot about that recently. Don't be emotionally triggered which is a reaction, be emotionally grounded, which is a response. And that pause is the difference. The amygdala wants to say, you're wrong, I'm right, right? (laughs) Whereas the cerebral cortex, that part in the back, it's taking in some information. And that's what that chapstick maneuver, whether it's physical or just in your head where you're doing, you're like, let's just take it, let's just take 10 seconds and make sure we're happy with the words that are getting ready to come out of our mouth. (laughs) And sometimes that is so hard, Jesse. (gasps) So hard. <laughs> Especially if somebody says something, you know, and, I be, and I'm, I'm generally mindful of attaching my identity to any kind of belief, because when you when you do that, you tend to want to f- punch back when somebody says something that goes against one of your beliefs. But it's like, mm-hmm. okay, I can believe what I believe, they can believe what they believe, and I and I can have empathy for their their life and how they came about their own belief structure, right? And not just lash out whenever they don't agree with how I see things. Yeah, we don't always have to be right. That was something that was hard for me because I grew up, my dad, you know, every, he he knows, uh, you know, the way he does it, everything is right according to him. My brother is the same way. He knows everything. He knows how to do everything. So, <laughs> you know, for me, I have to reset that mind, mind thinking. I don't always have to be right. Like you said, even if, I know I'm right. I don't have to let everybody else know it. <laughs> yes. It's uh, one of the, uh, uh, I love how you're bringing all these things I talk about on the show. It's like, would you, do you want to be right? Or do you want to connect? And if mm-hmm. I'm going to sit here and yell at you about why I think that the toilet paper should go over and not under, I was yes, like, okay, <laughs> right. Like, I mean, let's of all, you know, let's, and now, you know, some people are like, well, if you have a cat, no, I don't care what animal you might have. It goes over, not under. Do not argue with me about this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. And so, so, but yeah, it's like, take a step back and be like, interesting. So where in your childhood were you taught to do it under and not over, right? Like just that simple expansion of the conversation allows you to take a a breath step back and then you know uh, not start a fight where one doesn't need to exist yes (laughs) one of the things that my i just recently got a new sponsor because i do uh a 12-step program uh my my new sponsor she uh said that now i'm gonna yeah i'm gonna my brain's gonna lapse um oh confrontation is not a form of communication oh 
out that that might be the title of this podcast. I love that. I love that. I was like, oh, you're so smart. <laughs> because a lot of times, you know, I'll pick my son up from a football practice or a baseball practice and and I will go into instead of just letting him talk to me, I will say, well, how did practice go? Well, how did you hit the ball? Did, did this person do this? Did that, you know, I'm just constantly asking questions. And maybe that's because, you know, we do podcasts and we're used to asking questions, but I will do that. I'll just kind of drill him. And she said, what if you just got in the car and turn on some music or, you know, just kind of let him do the conversation instead of you be, you know, the confrontation. I'm like, ah, who would have thought? Yeah. <laughs> there's a whole different way to do this now you know and, and you know and this is this is you know because we'll be wrapping up here soon that's a really good way of of uh of segueing into that kind of mindset shifts that you've put yourself through you know when you have this idea of like okay confrontation is not communication are there other little tidbits that you've learned from aa or throughout your sponsor that you really that like you immediately can you know rem remind yourself right of course we all have the one day at a time or you know if one is too many a thousand is never enough, but I love confrontation is not a form of communication. Are there some other really cool ones that, that you could share with the listeners that uh, you utilize frequently in your recovery? Oh man, you're asking me, you put me on the spot now, you know, there are so many, so many good ones. And uh, usually I will write them down, jot them down and hang them up in my kitchen on a little ball. Um, gosh, some other ones. You know, it's uh, that I don't have to apologize to make other people feel comfortable. Ooh, okay. That's one that, that's one that I love. I, I had to use that a lot in the past two years. I don't, because I'm, I'm really bad at saying I'm sorry, you know, and, and I had uh, someone on that did an episode on my podcast that, that she said, we, when we say we're sorry, it's like, we're kind of like when you you're leaving the house and you might say okay I love you see you later I mean do we really mean that are we really thinking that do we you know and it's like saying I'm sorry for me anyway I'll say oops sorry you know sorry I brushed into you oops sorry I got in your way oops sorry you know I was walking down the path and you're coming towards me and I me and my dog need to move to the other side it's kind of a knee-jerk reaction and so oh, yeah. and in my life you know, there are people that come into our life. They're there for a time. Maybe it's to teach us a lesson or, you know, just for that time, that moment. Right. And then Reason, sometimes season, we just, lifetime. Yes. And sometimes we have to release them or I don't want to say cut them out because that sounds so cruel, but sometimes we just have to release them because they have negative energy or whatever it is. But um, I don't have to apologize to you because I'm releasing you from my life. Yeah. I don't have to apologize just to make you feel comfortable so that you're not sniveling and, <laughs> and hurt I that's something that. I have to work on all the time is is not and and my oldest son also um something that I'm trying to work with him on you know you don't always apologize you don't have to always apologize yeah what is that uh, I try to like you know whether it be uh like pardon me you know like you know if, if you're walking down a grocery store aisle at the same time as somebody else pandemic aside masks aside just in general if your carts somehow get near each other you like, oh so sorry I'm not sorry yes. pardon, pardon me right or you know you know excuse me you know is a, is a good one right because that 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 there is no guilt, right? Like, excuse me or pardon yes. me. That, that releases any kind of, oh, I'm so sorry. Because if you 
always say you're sorry for things that really there's no reason to be sorry about. It's almost like you're apologizing for your existence on the planet. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Very well put. (laughs) It's like, I mean, yeah, we're both walking down the aisle, you know, it's like, I mean, yes, we're walking down the sidewalk. Yes, we can both turn our shoulders at the same time so we don't bump each other. Um, that again, there's some Midwestern values come into play because people in LA will keep themselves, they're walking their line and they are not deviating from it. You don't want to run into me. You don't want to start a conversation that's on you. So it's, it's, uh, it's <laughs> you know, when you, um, when you get on the podcast and, and you are, you're, you, you interview uh, people like me or other people in general, like, what are the, what is the messaging, you know, cause now I want to talk about your show. So it can invite other people to go over and listen to it. What's the messaging that you're, that you center your show around? What is it that you want people to take away from what it is you're doing over there at the retired blackout artist? One of the one of the hashtags I use and one of the uh, thoughts at the end of each episode or at the beginning is kindness wins. I feel like so many people are so busy to get here and to get there. And I fall into that category also sometimes. But if we could just be kind and you don't have to say anything to me, but just a smile sometimes will brighten somebody's day or you know, hey, Jesse, those glasses are rocking, you know, just to be nice and to be kind to one another. So many times we get we get so involved in ourselves. But um, yeah, on, on, the, on the podcast, it's kind of centered around. I, I just like to get other people's stories or other their journeys on on how what they were what they were like, what they're like now what kind of great things that they're doing, what kind of examples they are, you know, they're leading by. And just that, because the podcast, uh, it's over 80 countries now that it's listened to in just over a year. We just started uh, July last year. And so that is so exciting, not because it's like, oh, yay, pat me on the back, but because it's getting the message out there. And again, here I go, getting excited and fired up. But uh, if it can help somebody that's sober curious, somebody that's just new to sobriety or somebody that even has, you know, 35 years, but just to uh, just to get that message out there. What is something you would like to be able to go back and tell your younger version of chastity about whatever, but your behaviors, where your life was heading because of the way you were acting? Like, what is that message you did, uh, put your hand on your own shoulder? What is that thing you would say to yourself? Man, I've thought about this a lot the last week or two. And I think me, um, you know, grew up in a small town. I didn't have to do what everybody else was doing. I could have been my own self. And also I didn't have to live the next 30, 40 years of my life living in shame because of one choice or two choices, you know, that I made back then. I didn't have to drink over something for, you know, so much of my life because of choices that I made whenever I was, you know, when I was younger, I don't yeah. have to be that person that I was then. I can evolve and grow and become something greater. Great segue to the final question. If there's a message, if every single addict or human alive could get one positive message from you, all right, somehow you speak these words and our, all of our brains open up to your message. What would be that one message you would love to, for everyone to hear whether, again, they don't have to just be in sobriety and recovery. It could be just the message chastity wants to send the world. What would that message be? 
no matter how bad you think your life is, no matter if you think there is no way you can uh, be forgiven, no way that you can, you know, dig out of that hole that you're in or that rut, but, you know, especially depression. I fought with depression uh, forever. Man, it doesn't have to be like that. Today can be the start of a brand new you. Today can be where you start the second chapter of your life. Man, I never thought that that was possible. And then, you know, being in recovery, meeting people like you, Jesse, has just, I mean, we're, we're a family. We may not know each other personally. We may not have the same blood type, but we're a family because we have each other's back. Once you, once you, you get in there and, um, yeah, somebody's going to be there. They're going to be extending that hand. They're going to be there to help you. So don't give up. Yes, don't give up. And there is, there, there is a beautiful thing about this community. If you just step into it and just, you, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I have people who call me, I didn't even ask them for help. And they're like, hey, just haven't heard from you in a while. Is everything good? It's like, wow, that's, that's awesome. I don't remember, I don't remember ever feeling that way from other people. And I just love that yeah. message. Yeah. And I, I, sometimes I feel bad, Jesse, because I will forget to call or text like my cousins, but you know, I'm going to text somebody in recovery every day I'm texting or calling or reaching out to, I don't know, five or more people in recovery. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, my cousins you... probably won't forgive me, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, my, like yeah, they can reach out to you too, but you know, I, I think it's just that, that recovery, there's a, there's, there's a symbiosis we have with our relationship with alcohol and drugs that when we step into the sobriety recovery world, when we see each other at these meetings, we like, yeah, yeah, I know. I, you know, it's why I don't talk a lot about that, 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 uh, the straw that broke the camel's back, the rock bottom, because I feel like I, we, yes, it's all different. Everybody's is different, but it's the same way. It's, you know, just like everybody's house is different, but it's all, we all have concrete foundations and two by fours and plywood, right? It's like, it's all very similar. Um, and and it's why I love talking about the recovery because it's, it's so unique for everybody. I like that analogy. Yeah. We all have toilets in our home, hopefully. Yeah. But <laughs> well, you're doing amazing work with your house. Way, way to just way to recreate your entire life. And, you know, it's just, it's beautiful to, to have met you and to be able to share your story and, and thank you for coming on and letting my listeners know more about you. It really was just an honor to have these last uh, couple hours with you today. Well, Jesse, I want to thank you because it has been an honor for me as well to be able to be in your presence and to have conversation and fellowship with you. It's, uh, yeah, I hope we can do this again sometime. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I talked about this with the sober experiment. I was like, this is not the last time that we will have one of these conversations. So yeah, so go off, be amazing, be blessed. We didn't even have a chance to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs or the Denver Broncos or football in general. Yeah, go Cubbies, you know, uh, (laughs) baseball. I mean, we didn't have a chance to talk sports. Next time we will get into it more. Again, thank you so much. And for all of you out there listening, out there in, a, in the amazing world that we live in, always remember inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. I'll see you again next week. Bye-bye. 